Amen. Thank you, R.C. I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. The title of the message is, Look What is Coming. Last week we saw, really the last two weeks, we've been in Revelation 4 and 5, and we've seen worship around the throne. And we've seen John see that there's this scroll that needs to be unrolled. It has seven seals, and in heaven they're declaring, who's worthy to open the seals? And there's nobody found anywhere on the earth or under the earth or in the sea, anywhere. And John cries because he thinks, is this scroll not going to get open? And then one of the elders says, no, behold the lamb, he's worthy. So we ended last week with just that worship scene around the throne and now, just going right into chapter 7, at what is coming as these seals get broken. It's something we've been waiting for for nearly 2,000 years. How good are you at waiting for something? Is there anything maybe on your calendar right now that you're waiting to happen? And it just seems like it'll never get here. I mean, when I was younger, it was Christmas, you know. Couldn't wait till Christmas got here and... Then when it was, you know, I was 15 years old, couldn't wait to be 16 so I could drive, which scared, I grew up in Macon, Georgia, I think it scared everybody else in Macon, they were praying that I wouldn't get my license, but I did, so just stay off the sidewalk. But especially as it applies to the return of Christ, I distinctly remember thinking, Jesus, as a believer, can't, I can't, I look forward to the day that you come back, but right before I got married, I had this, I don't know that I prayed it verbally, but, but I thought could you at least wait until after I get married? And then when we were expecting our children, you know, Jesus, I look forward to you coming back. Could you wait until after our children are born? I, I want to see these children and get to experience them for a little while. Well, I don't know if there's anything else I'm waiting for in that regard. Jesus could come now. Now, keep in mind, it's not up to me. It's up to him. It's up to the Father. What did Jesus say before he left? He said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And he's coming back. When he ascended into heaven there on the Mount of Olives, the angel said to the disciples, what are you doing looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who you've seen leave is coming back. But he had given them a job to do. What was the job? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we need to be about doing his work and his will. The disciples asked Jesus on the Temple Mount, they came out and he said, see all these beautiful buildings on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? He said, I tell you the truth, not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And he started talking about the end times and his disciples said, tell us, when's it going to happen? What are some signs to look for? And Jesus said, it's not up to you to know the time that it's going to happen. But it is up to us to be prepared. And so we look at Revelation chapter 6 and if you're thinking, well, I'm only here this week, you can go back and if you want to pick up the messages in previous weeks, they're available on iTunes. You can listen to the ones coming. But this week we're in chapter 6. In fact, it does my heart good out in the hallway. A guy passed me and said, are we in Revelation 6 today? I'm like, he's keeping up. Thank you. Uh, next For next week, read 7 and 8, okay? We're going to cover a little bit more next week. But this week we're looking at these seals and we're only going to get to 6 today, but the 6 seals and i'm going to begin reading in verse one and let's just cover the uh the first uh four seals that deal with the four horsemen some would call the four horsemen of the apocalypse then i saw who is i that's john after this worship scene in heaven john says then i saw when the lamb broke one of the seals 
And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So what are we seeing? We're seeing the beginning of tribulation. And you say, well, Robert, one of the biggest questions people have is, are believers going to be here during the tribulation? I'm not going to answer that question today. I told folks when I started the book of Revelation, I'm not going to get into speculations on things. Listen, there are people that I admire and trust who are pre-trib or yeah, pre-trib believers. There's some that are post-trib. There's even mid-trib or, or pre-wrath rapture type folks. I have an opinion. And after the service is over, you don't have to come and tell me yours and ask me what mine is. Here's what I hope happens. I hope you'll study for yourself. And I'll put it this way. Let's pray for pre-trib, but you better be prepared if it isn't. So what happens? We see these four horsemen. The first one, John says, I saw the lamb break the seal, and the first horse was a white horse. And you say, well, who was it sitting on the white horse? It wasn't Jesus. Jesus has got a white horse coming. This isn't it. In fact, really, the, the riders of these horses are not so much personalities as they are forces to be dealt with and so the first rider sitting on the white horse was given a bow and a crown was given to him interesting anything missing from a bow get the image you see this white horse with a rider on it and the rider has a bow doesn't say anything about arrows and the crown that was given to him it's interesting two words for crown in the new testament one is stephanos where we get the word stephen and that was really a prize that was a crown or a garland wreath that would be placed on your head for a victory. Well, that's the word used here. Not the word diadem, which would be the, the crown that you would see on Jesus that was this royal crown. And so this is just this stephanos, this victory. So the first horse, this white horse, and again, white was often associated with victory. He went out to conquer and to conquer. The word literally means subdue. So what happens with the first white horse? He goes. He is loosed on earth, and he goes out to conquer. Then he says, I saw a second horse, a red horse. In fact, the word for red really means flaming or fire-like red horse. And the one who sat on it was granted to take peace. And it, I think the first one went out to conquer and conquer. could be the beginning of wars. What happens with this second rider? It's not that the second rider is insti- instituting war. But he's taken peace from the earth. So what happens? Men are slaying each other. Civil war breaks out all over the face of the earth. And it says men slay one another. It's that same word 
from last week, it means to butcher or to slaughter. Can you imagine what's happening during this tribulation time that people are turning on one another? In fact, probably brother against brother and friend against friend. And people who weren't enemies before have become enemies now during this time of tribulation. And folks, it gets worse. So he takes peace from the earth. And he was given a great sword. But it doesn't say that he slayed anybody. It doesn't say that he killed anybody by the sword. He simply removes peace and people kill one another. And so incredible uh, persecution, incredible tribulation is happening. Then I saw a black horse. And the one who sat on the black horse had a pair of scales. And if you've never seen this kind of scales, we're not talking about bathroom scales here. We're talking about the kind that had a beam with two baskets on either end of it or two plates on either end of it. And what is he bringing? He's bringing famine. And this seems to be an indication of not just of justice, but really of that in the end times, famine is going to break out so that, that food is going to have to be rationed. That there's not going to be enough food to go around. Has that ever happened in the history of mankind? Yes, a lot of you won't remember this. I don't remember it. I wasn't alive, but one of the last times was World War II. During World War II, because so much was being expended on the military effort that people in this country, because of the Great Depression and things that were happening, you had to get coupons just to be able to buy something. It wasn't just about people didn't have money, but it didn't matter if you had money. There were things just weren't in supply. And he says he hears this voice that says, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. This was what your average unskilled worker, just your blue-collar worker, that was working for a whole day, at the end of it, would get a denarius. Some translations even call it a penny. What would he do with that penny? He would go and buy a quart of wheat. What would you do with a quart of wheat? That was enough to keep one person alive. That was enough daily rations for one person. Can, so can you see the extent of the famine that's happening there's, during this time? So what about his family? Well, if he had a family, he may buy barley, and you could get three quarts of barley for a denarius. And barley, while cheaper and more filling, was not nutritious. And so families, people are starving during this time of great famine. In fact, some of the research I've done says that basically prices at that time would be inflated 12 times. In other words, it cost you 12 times what it used to cost you to buy this quart of wheat or this three quarts of barley. That's how inflated the prices were. And they were inflated because... It wasn't available. Then he sees this fourth horse. It's described as an ashen horse or a, this yellow-green, some translations say pale horse. And he who sat on it had the name death. And that's what happens now is this fourth horse, this fourth rider comes and is loosed on earth. And it says that Hades is following him. And authority was given him. And this is interesting to note. And in each of these cases, these horsemen were given something. It was because of God's sovereignty and his authority that he allowed, he, he granted. They didn't take this permission. They didn't say, we're going to go and destroy earth. No, it was all under the control of God. So what happens to if you are a believer during this time? One of the things to be comforted by is God's still in control. And authority has to be given. And this is promised to be short-lived. And I'm going to talk more about that. Uh, at the end. So this ashen horse comes. And authority is given. 
over one-fourth of the earth. Now think about this. A fourth of the earth is going to be wiped out. Now if that were to happen today, that would be roughly one and a half billion people that would be wiped out, that would be killed. In fact, he gives specifically, they would be killed with a sword or with famine or with pestilence or with wild beasts. Now, we get the sword. That's part of the war effort. That's part of what's already happening with the war. We understand famine. We just talked about that. People are literally starving to death. But then pestilence, what does that mean? That's disease. That means sickness is breaking out. In fact, it's interesting to know. Do you know that in, in a lot of wars, people died? In fact, during the American Civil War, more people died from disease than they did on the battlefield of the war effort. Did you know that? In World War I, for instance, an estimated 30 million people died during the great influenza epidemic of 1918-1919. More than three times as many of the soldiers who died in World War I. So what's happened? You've got you to get this because when we get to the end, it's, it's cataclysmic is what's happening. But war has broken out. Civil war has broken out. Famine. And now people are losing their lives because of the sword or lack of food or disease, or even wild beasts that are killing people that are on earth. So that is the fourth horse. Now, what else is going on during this time? Well, let's pick up in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So during this beginning of these cataclysmic events on earth, John looks over and sees an altar in heaven. Now what altar is this? Scholars debate that. In the Old Testament, there were two altars there was a sin altar and then there was an incense altar well there's no need for a sin altar in heaven why because sin's already been atoned for it's already been taken care of at the cross so this obviously had to be the altar of incense and john looks under it and he sees the souls of all the martyrs who had died for what because of the word of god and because of their testimony in fact it's interesting for their testimony they maintained let me tell you if somebody's about to kill you for the cause of Christ and you say, time out, wait a minute, I changed my mind, I recant, they don't kill you. These were the people who maintained it even in the face of people saying, if you don't change your testimony, if you don't change your story, we're going to kill you. And folks, that has happened throughout history from the first century to this one. The, the, the 12 disciples, 11 of them, lost their life in this kind of fashion, because of their testimony. And so they cry out, how long, O Lord? In fact, the word they use for Lord is not the typical, the typical Greek word is kurios, which means Lord or Master. This is a word that literally means supreme in authority. And so they're basically saying, you're the Holy One, and we're just saying, how much longer before we see a stop an input to unholy people seeming to flourish. You ever wonder that yourself? Why is it it seems like sometimes that good things happen to bad people? 
And so the souls of the martyrs are crying out, God, how much longer? And the Lord says, just a little bit longer. He's given them this white robe. In fact, that term, white robe, occurs five times in the book of Revelation. It's the robe that John sees Jesus wearing. It'd be a full-length, flowing white robe, which was a mark of dignity. That's what they've been given, a mark of purity, a mark of dignity. You should rest. Wait just a little while longer. And folks, what they're waiting on is coming in the next few verses. I don't know how much a little longer is, but it's not long. But he says, you've got to wait. There's still some who are yet to suffer. There's still some who will be killed for the cause of Christ. Folks, I don't believe we're in the, this period of tribulation yet, but there are people even today on earth that are being punished and even killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So the last one then, the last seal that is broken begins in verse 12, and I kind of said it last week. This is when all heaven breaks loose. That's what's coming. Verse 12. Let me read to the end of the chapter. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Folks, this last section, it blows me away to see what's happening to people on earth during this last uh, sixth seal that is broken. It says a big earthquake. It's, it's the word seismos, where we get seismology from. It means a disturbance of the air or the ground. We've had earthquakes in this country. We've had earthquakes on the planet. But apparently this is one that is truly cataclysmic. In fact, it may be earthquakes, volcanoes, it just... All erupts at one time. And it says that when that happens, the sun becomes as black as sackcloth made of hair. What's he talking about? He's talking about this mohair garment that you would have worn during mourning. If you had lost a loved one and you went into mourning, you would put on this black garment. And he's saying that's what the sun is going to put on. It's going to become dark. And the moon's going to look like blood. Now, some scholars believe it's simply going to be the ash and the calamity that's happening is going to raise into the atmosphere. You're going to look up and can't see the sun, and a little bit of moon that you can see at night is going to look red through that. Now, keep in mind, what's happening in this place? Well, first of all, a quarter of the earth is now dead, a fourth of the people on the earth. People are starving to death because of famine. People are killing each other because of civil war. And in the middle of all that, what happens? This great earthquake happens, and these heavenly bodies start falling out of the sky. Scholars believe it's simply a meteor shower because all the stars can't fall because they fall later on in Revelation. So meteor showers. And one of the reasons perhaps people are running into caves is just to keep from getting hit by a meteor shower. And what do they do when they get into the cave? 
the great men, there, there's seven groups of people that are mentioned here. Isn't that interesting? The, word, the number seven is used throughout Revelation. But from the mighty to the least of these, from the great men and the commanders of armies and the rich all the way to the slaves and the free men, they're going to run into the caves. And this, this kind of got all over me this week to think about the fact you are so afraid of the coming judgment of God that you would go hide in the mountains and think, I would rather that the mountain fall on me and kill me than to stand in the presence of the living God. Now, what's going to happen to you if you're in the cave and an avalanche happens or the mountain collapses? You're still going to die. And what's going to happen the next moment? You're going to be in the presence of God. Judgment's coming. And yet people are so afraid of the one who sits on the throne. They're so afraid of the wrath of the Lamb. That word's only applied to Jesus one other time, and that's when he entered Jerusalem and cleared the temple because of what they were doing there. It said that his anger welled up. Literally, wrath takes place. And my thought is this. These people who are ungodly, these are the unbelievers, these are the ones that had rejected God, running from God, possibly some of the ones who had put to death the believers in God. They know what's happening. They know that the day of the Lord has come. Why don't they repent? But instead of repenting, what do they do? They run from the presence of God. And they go hide in a cave. And they would rather that the mountain fall on them than for them to stand in the presence of Almighty God. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, you get to those six seals, you read those 17 verses, and you think, okay. What of that am I going to apply to my life this week? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. If you got your Bibles, I want you to flip to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. And I just want to bring us back to some other teaching in Scripture that parallels this. And really just two things that I would say should comfort us. Comfort for the saints. Verse 13 of First Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise First, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the first thing is, don't be uninformed. King James uses the word, don't be ignorant. In fact, girls at seminary when I was there, they loved quoting this. They, they said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Well, What's Paul saying? He doesn't want them to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. In fact, the word means to ignore. What's Paul saying in, in 1 Thessalonians to this church? Well, here's what's happening in the church. The church had heard the teaching that Jesus has gone away, but he's coming back. They thought he's coming right back. Well, what happens to your friends who you thought were Christians who start to die in the interim time? Well, some of the people were thinking they must not have been Christians. And it, certainly if it was a loved one or a spouse or a child, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. They're going to miss out on something. They're going to miss out on heaven. 
And so Paul says, no, I don't want you to ignore this truth. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. What's going to happen to those that have died in Christ? They're not going to miss anything. In fact, they're going to be raised first when Jesus comes back. And they're in the presence of God right now, is what the Scripture teaches. So the first thing is, don't be uninformed. The second thing is, he says at the end of verse 18, and then if you read into chapter 5, he says it again in verse 11, therefore encourage one another or comfort one another. It's the word parakaleo, which is like paraclete, which is how we describe the Holy Spirit. One called alongside to help. We're to be Jesus with skin on for people around us. We're to comfort people. People who get distressed, even people who would read Revelation and say, oh my goodness, look, what, look what's coming. You can comfort folks with the fact that, you know what, if you know Jesus, you're not going to, as verse 9 says of chapter 5, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So comfort one another. And then just to be real practical, let me close with your response. Just four quick things. First one is this. You read these six seals being broken. You read 17 verses out of Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to read verses chapter 7 and 8 next week and look at parts of that as the trumpets are blown. And ultimately, we're going to see these bowls poured out. And you think, how, what do I do with all that? Well, the first question then is, do you have a biblical perspective? Is your perspective, do you have a biblical worldview? Because what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians is people are going to say things like, hey, Jesus isn't coming back. If he was coming back, he'd come by now. And the Bible says don't take his delay as the fact that he's slow, but rather he is patient, not wanting any to perish. So do you have a biblical perspective? Do you have a biblical perspective of end times? Hello, have you studied it? Most of us know a whole lot about his first coming. We love celebrating Christmas. But did you know in the scripture for every one verse that deals with his advent or first coming, there are eight verses that deal with his second coming? So are you studying it? Why is it that most of us, for most of our lives, look at the book of Revelation as if it's something concealed that we aren't supposed to read? And yet the word revelation means what? Revealed. God wants us to know what he's told us. Do we have all the answers? No. That's why there's debate over pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennialist. Some of us are pan-millennialists. We just hope it'll all pan out in the end. We're kind of like, you know what? It's not up to me. So it doesn't matter what I know. But folks, it does matter that you study it. So do you have an end times biblical perspective? Second question is, what if you have to suffer? I've already read what Paul said to the Thessalonian church, and that is, we're not destined for wrath. You're not going to have to, as a believer, experience the wrath of God. But what about the persecution of men? Folks, that's taking place now. And I believe even in this country, we're going to see that ratcheted up. To be a Christian, a legitimate, authentic believer, follower of Jesus Christ, is not cool in America. It's okay to be religious. It's okay to go to church. It's okay to talk about God. Just don't let it affect the way you live your life. And folks, it's worse than that in other places where people have been persecuted, tortured, and put to death because of their testimony even to this day. So you're not going to experience God's wrath, but you may experience man's 
persecution. Third question is this. Are you ready if it happened today? Let's just make it real personal. If Jesus Christ returned today, if we didn't see the clock strike midnight tonight, and we are standing face to face with God, are we ready to meet him? Well, how do I know if I'm ready? If he were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven? What's my answer going to be? If your answer is, well, I was at church Sunday morning, that's not good enough. Well, wait a minute, I wasn't just at church. I was at the Garden City Chapel for crying out loud. That's not good enough. What's your answer going to be? If it's anything short of, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I have trusted his death, his burial, his resurrection. There is nothing in me that earns me a right to heaven. It's all because of him. Anything short of that is not good enough. And the last question, are you helping others to prepare? How do we help others? Well, one, to evangelize, to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. We got good news. We've read the end of the book of Revelation. We know what's coming. But also to disciple other people, to help them grow. One of your responsibilities as a believer that is maturing is to look behind you to brand new believers and help them to mature. So evangelize, disciple, but also to encourage, to call people near you, to comfort them, folks who are just down about things. Lift their spirits. Why? Because it's good news. You know what I've learned about encouraging people? It's real hard to do from a distance. There's a few people that I can call on the telephone if I'm down that can kind of encourage me over the phone, but what I really need is somebody that comes right up alongside of me. And folks... That's what you need as well. And that's what your friends need. They need, as somebody said, Jesus with skin on. They need somebody to say, hey, let me, let me tell you the good news. Let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. In fact, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord that the people in Revelation chapter 6 are running from. We're not running from it. We're encouraging it to come now. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, Lord, I pray that question would resonate in our hearts. And that is, firstly, am I ready? If you were to return today, am I ready? God, the sad thing is still a majority of Americans have said they believe that Jesus is coming back. I just don't think they're ready. God, if there's something that we're putting off, God, I pray we do it today. If there's something we need to get right, we'd get it right today. And then, God, help us to have your eyes for people around us. God, to help people come to know you, to help people grow in their faith, and to help people be encouraged. Lord, there's things even in this country that discourage Christians these days. And yet, Lord, we know the end of the story. Peace will not come in full capacity until Jesus brings it. And so God, encourage us with that truth even during difficult times. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing a closing chorus?